Support for WAER Original Podcasts comes from California Closets of Syracuse, located in DeWitt. California Closets can help you get your entire home organized with custom-designed storage solutions for the home office, kitchen pantry, closets, and more. Online at californiaclosets.com. Conan Doyle gave him full credit that uh, Sherlock Holmes does not exist without Dupin. You know, that Poe's the originator there. So, yeah, he's he's everywhere. And I think that that's one of the things that, one of the things that helps keep Poe alive. Gothic horror is dominating the bookshelves these days with authors like Paul Tremblay and Jesmyn Ward sharing shelf space with stalwarts like Stephen King and Dean Koontz. Indeed, the tradition of Gothic tales in American literature has a rich genealogy that can be traced back through authors like Octavia Butler, Shirley Jackson, H.P. Lovecraft, and Washington Irving. Yet if any author deserves credit as the chief architect of our American literary haunted house, it is probably Edgar Allan Poe. Born in 1809 in Boston, Poe would pen some of the most famous and influential Gothic stories in American literature, including poems like The Raven and Annabel Lee, and short stories like The Pit and the Pendulum, The Telltale Heart, and The Fall of the House of Usher. His death in Baltimore in 1849 had many of the mysterious trappings of the fiction he wrote. Poe reappeared after a few days' disappearance, disoriented and wearing ill-fitting clothes that were not his own, and he died shortly after being found with no clearly determined cause and no explanation for his strange final days. I'm Kendall Phillips, and on this episode of Pop Life, we'll be examining Poe's life, death, and influence on popular culture with renowned scholar, critic, and performer Mark Dwidziak. Mark's newest book, A Mystery of Mysteries, The Death and Life of Edgar Allan Poe, delves into the peculiar death and fascinating life of America's chief spooky storyteller and offers a new theory about those final days. Mark, welcome to Pop Life. Thanks for having me. So, Mark, uh, the hook of your book, and clearly one of the things that makes Poe more than just a great author, is this mysterious death. So can you tell us a little about those strange circumstances at the end of Poe's life? Well, and and if I I could tell you more, uh, I wish I could tell you more than I can tell you, because these are really days shrouded not just in mystery, but complete mystery. He gets on a steamer. leaving Richmond and he's heading north. He's heading back home to New York. Uh, and, you know, for some reason he ends up in Baltimore and we don't know why we don't know why he got off at Baltimore. We don't know whether he went to Philadelphia first or at one point there, there's nothing. These days are a complete mystery. It's, it's open to complete conjecture. Some people who saw him in Richmond, um, one person who saw him in Richmond said he, the night he left, he looked feverish and ill. Other friends who saw him leave said, no, he was upbeat and was in great spirits and looked great. And this is the thing about Poe. Uh, the the last days are just, you, you cannot take any kind of turn without bumping into an unreliable witness. <laughs> and, and, and there's conflicting testimony. There are people who were, like his attending physician at the end, who spent the last three days with him. His name was John Moran. He was a young doctor at the, the hospital in Baltimore, he left behind three accounts of Poe's death, each one of them wildly different in content. In, in, in You wouldn't know that he was talking about the same patient, the way he changes everything. He embellishes some parts 
things that are he he says things that are clearly impossible uh, that occurred. So even his attending physician is unreliable. And all the things you want to have to sort of help solve the mystery of the last days and post death are simply not there. There was no autopsy. And even if they had done an autopsy, they would have been using the instruments that were akin to uh, to, to a butcher's uh, stock hmm. at, at that point. They didn't know how to really do good autopsies. The Civil War really was the advance in the science of autopsies. If, if, if Poe had died 20 years later, he would probably had an excellent autopsy. We probably would have known a lot more of, about his death. When I heard you were writing about Poe, I felt like your editor. I thought this is the absolute logical next step. Yeah, and I didn't see it. You know, it took that somebody else to have that perspective. But then I said, you know, well, what are you thinking of here? You know, and he said uh, very clearly he wanted a book that addressed Poe's death. And I said, and I said, whoa, 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 hold, hold it, hold it, hold it, back up the hearse. You are not suggesting that I write a book that will definitively solve the mystery of Poe's death, are you? You don't want of these these types of books that seem to arrive every two years that definitively <laughs> solve the mystery of who Jack the Ripper was, right. you know, it seems like every two years we get a book that says we've solved it. <laughs> um, it still goes on. Well, uh, and, and clearly I think that was what he was thinking about. And I laid out all the uh, things I just told you that there's, there's no mm. soft tissue. There's no, Nothing that can be uh, subjected to modern forensics. There's no autopsy. There's, you know, I, I gave him all of the reasons why it would be irresponsible to suggest that this could be definitively and conclusively solved. And uh, But I said to him, I tell you what I will do. I will write you a book that examines Poe's life through the filter of his death. Because in many ways, his death is one of the most fascinating things. One of the people I interviewed for the book said... Um, most biographies start where most biographies start when somebody is born. Sure. Oh, you inevitably start with the moment that he dies. Hmm. It starts with his death. And I thought that's a really smart, smart observation. And so I said, I, I, I think there's a lot to be said about Poe because he, his death is not only surrounded in mystery and myth, but so is his life. Is that if, if the concept that most people have from the pop culture of Edgar Allan Poe is a very clear and definite one. And it's wrong. Where did we get this personality of Threefold. Poe as, Okay, yeah. Threefold. One, one is that th there are uh, eight known uh, photographs, daguerreotypes of Poe. They were almost all taken, all but one were taken in the last two years of his life when his health had started to break down. So he looks sickly in those those last but he looks increasingly sickly in those pictures if you go in chronological order you can see something was wrong mm. with this guy so all of our images of poe for, for, for a man who lived 40 years come from like 37 on so that's one reason is that there just isn't a lot of photographic uh, evidence of poe there's only uh, about eight photographs and just a handful of watercolor portraits of him um, and all of them were done in the 1840s so the majority of Poe's life, we have no pictorial evidence of him. Again, if he had lived a few more years, if he lives to the end of the century and he lives to the era of the Kodak, when mm -hmm. everybody could take candid photographs, we'd have hundreds of pictures of him. And a lot of them would be of Poe smiling, laughing, <laughs> having, a, you know, a jumping contest in his front yard at Fordham and winning because he was athletic. Um, 
our image of him would be completely different just because of the photographic evidence. So that's number one. Number two, uh, the day Poe died, uh, you know, in October of 1849, they buried him the next day in a in a Presbyterian cemetery in Baltimore. And the next day they buried him again because uh, the, a guy he thought was a friend, Rufus Griswold, and became sort of his literary executor, wrote the first obituary of him, which appeared, you know, the day after his funeral. And the obituary starts, the first line of the funeral is, uh, the obituary is something like, you know, Edgar Allan Poe died in Baltimore yesterday, you know, few will be shocked and even fewer will be grieved by the news. And it went downhill from there. <laughs> what Poe did not know was that Griswold was nursing grudges, had worked up an, a, a complete hatred and envy of Poe, and he made it his mission for the rest of his days to slander Poe. And he labeled, he, he described Poe as immoral, as a drug addict, all of things which were not true, all of things which were, but this created the first and earliest impression of Poe. And it took a long time for the biographical record to be corrected. In fact, it has not been corrected to this day. The harm that Griswold does reaches all the way into the, the, today, the conversation we're having right now. That's how bad the impact was. And then finally, when we go into the 20th century, Poe's reputation starts to be rehabilitated, but it is replaced as this sort of grandfather of goth image that we've, we've attributed to him. No, it, it is an overwhelmingly kind of bleak uh, public image. But he did, I mean, just thinking a little bit about his life, it was not an easy life for Poe, was it? No, and, and, and by the way, was he drawn to the death culture of the time? Was he drawn to those dark subjects? Did he hear, like uh, uh, Stephen King said, the the creak of the uh, uh, of the cellar door? Mm. You know, yeah, he did. Absolutely, that was a part of who he was. He dressed in black. When the Raven becomes a hit, when the Raven is is published in nineteen in eighteen forty five, and it gives him a, a small taste of the uh, popularity he 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 very much wanted throughout his life. He becomes known as the Raven Man. Everywhere he goes, people want him to recite the Raven. He goes out and little kids are, are throwing pebbles at his heels. And he'll whirl around very quickly in the street and, and say, nevermore, at the kids. And they go running off screaming. <laughs> and he loves this. He's playing up to it. Like Stephen King will play up to, you know, the, the, the boogeyman uh, uh, part of, uh, of his, his reputation. Mm. He's having a ball with it. You know, he's, 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 uh, he doesn't deny that part. Uh, 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 of of who he is, but again, it's just a part. Poe was interested in everything and everything. He had an immense curiosity. You know, Vincent Price once said that the man who limits his interests limits his life. He might have well, but he wasn't talking about Poe, but he might as well have been because Poe was interested in science, all science. I mean, he's interested in plants. He's interested in in rocks. He's interested in history. He's interested in in, in, in physics, he's interested in just everything out there. He has an immensely curious mind. And that's one of the reasons he was a good horror writer, was because the more interested you are in all that stuff, the more it feeds what you do. You can't just be interested in that, or else you're going to write very boring horror stories. You know? What do you think were Poe's what, what influences in terms, of literary, in terms of getting to these gothic stories? Where, where was that coming from for Poe? 
Well, the, the, the first and primary primary influence of, of his, you know, what he would have said, if you said like, you know, what was the most influential book? You'd, I think he would have said Robinson Crusoe. Hmm. Uh, he discovered uh, Robinson Crusoe. He, he was a, a boy. His foster parents went to England and he, stayed, he was in England for a few years as a, as a child. And um, he discovered Robinson Crusoe while he was there. He also probably discovered Blackwood's magazine, which had a lot of these very lurid gothic tales in them. Um, that probably was a pretty effective one-two punch as far as uh, jumpstarting his 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 interest in that way. And you know, his his hero was Lord Byron. Uh, so Byron dressed in black. You know, he dressed in black. Byron, you know, was cut a very romantic figure. He tried to cut a very romantic figure. I guess it's interesting. You know, we, if you could go back in time and say to Poe, you know, uh, oh, you're a horror writer. First off, he wouldn't even know what you were talking about. That term did not exist. And he, he probably was like, you mean gothic? You mean I write mm. gothics? Is that what you're saying? Oh, well, yeah, I guess I have written a few. You know, I think that would have been his response, you know. Poe primarily viewed himself as a romantic poet. Hmm. If, if, if he had his druthers, he expected to uh, inherit a great deal of money from his foster father, who cut him off. He, he ended up not getting a penny. Um, and this forced him to write types of things which he probably wouldn't have written if it hadn't been for the economic necessity. If he inherits a good deal of money, a comfortable amount of money, and he is able to become uh, what he envisions himself to become, a member of the Virginia aristocracy, he would have then become a gentleman poet and probably written poetry and some essays. And that's, we wouldn't have Edgar Allan Poe. Mm. The best thing that his foster father, John Allen, did for us was cutting Poe off because Poe now has to write short stories out of economic necessity. And he has to write in forms that are going to be popular. Well, the Gothic was very popular at this time. There were a lot of people. Poe wasn't alone. It's not like he, you know, invented the Gothic story or, or anything like that. There were it was all over the place in the late 1700s, early 1800s. He was just doing it better than anybody else. The reason we're still reading him and not reading all those other people is that Poe was just so many miles ahead of anybody else in what he did because of his understanding of human nature which always separates uh, the great writers it's why we shakespeare is still relevant today so you know poe is writing this out of necessity he's he invents the detective story out of necessity he inv he turns to horror out of necessity he wouldn't have if there hadn't been the necessity so, I mean, that's one of the reasons we're, you know, we, we need to be grateful to John. People read Poe's biography and it's easy to, to hiss and boo at John Allen because he does come off as a bit mm. of, a, of a villain in the piece. And he clearly did not understand Poe and did not treat him well. But he certainly did literature a great favor by cutting Poe off. Well, and, and popular culture in general. And so I'm wondering, you know, Certainly, we know Edgar Allan Poe, as you said, is one of the few authors we immediately can identify, and we we know him. We we think we know his personality. We can attribute a lot to this public persona. But I'm wondering if you could talk a little about Poe's impact beyond literature, just in American popular culture in general. It just seems to me uh, the it's, pop culture we it, have it, now would be totally different. It's impossible yeah. to 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 gauge because he's everywhere. Mm. He is at, he 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 touches everything, and if he doesn't touch it directly, he touches it indirectly. 
and and he's it you know i grew up in the 60s so you know we had the roger corman poe films arriving at a fairly regular clip but everything i watched you know the monsters had a had a raven living in their clock that croaked out ever more every so often <laughs> you know and that's silly and that's you know but you don't think that poe had a hand in designing the gothic mansions that the adams family and the monsters lived in you know he's he's everywhere he's on the cover he's got the the top center position on the cover of sergeant peppers you know, the that's Beatles, pretty good. That's pretty good. Top and center. I mean, how much street cred is that in a, from a pop culture standpoint? He's name checked in a, in a John Lennon song. He's named one of his stories is name checked in a Bob Dylan song. Um, he's everywhere. He's he's on The Simpsons. He's on, you know, how many versions of the Telltale Heart have been done mm. and redone? So there is an, yes, I mean, there is a direct presence of Poe in the pop culture. And, and he's acknowledged by anybody who does the Mystery Writers of America. Their award is called the Edgar Award. And quite rightly so, because Poe does, you know, Conan Doyle gave him full credit that uh, Sherlock Holmes does not exist without Dupin. You know, that Poe's the originator there. So, yeah, he's, he's everywhere. And I think that that's one of the things that... Uh, one of the things that helps keep Poe alive, and you know, and and I and uh, I almost hate to get into this because um, it, 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 there's there's something that's just very concerning, and it and it and it, mm. it bothers me to say it out loud. But you know, I to to essence, I said before that the two writers uh, who are instantly recognized by most Americans if you showed them a picture were are Mark Twain and Edgar Allan Poe. Now, in some ways, Twain has been treated better. Hmm. If you can start around 1960, if you can go back in time and say, okay, let's let's go into the decade that is the 19th, that amazing decade where all the rules were thrown out and everything was turned upside down. If you go into the 1960s, here are Twain and Poe. They are still both immensely popular, but our perception of them is very, very limited. Twain is seen as sort of the genial family author, uh, the author of boys' books and uh, the American grandfatherly wit, like the, the missing mm -hmm. link between Benjamin Franklin and Will Rogers. <laughs> uh, Poe is seen as we see him today. He's seen as the, this macabre guy who is the, 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 the master of horror. Now, by the end of the 60s, our view of Twain is going to be transformed, expanded, He's going to grow as a literary figure because his social criticism is released in the 1960s. So Twain gets bigger and bigger throughout the 60s. And we start to see uh, that's, oh, he's not just this, 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 this gentle wit. He, he can get pretty dark here. Mm. But look at this. Look at that. And we come out of the 60s with Twain having been enlarged. And Poe is every bit as popular when we come out of the 60s. But he's the same guy. The 60s <laughs> yeah. did not help Poe at all as far as sort of expanding our view of him. Now, in the long run, that has helped keep Poe alive. Uh, you know, it's a double fame has been a double edged sword for Edgar Allan Poe. It, those stories have kept him going and have kept him alive and they will keep him going and keep him alive. But on the same on the other side of the, that that sword is that it keeps us from seeing the whole writer. It keeps us from doing for him what we did for Mark Twain. 
But in the long run, Poe is the renewable literary energy source because mm. Poe gets reintroduced in curriculum every single year. Everybody gets Poe in junior high school, high school, and then if you take any college literature courses, you're probably going to get him again. Poe is constant, and you get him at just the right age. You get him at, at early adolescence. When reading is a chore and your imagination is is waiting to be fired up. Now, here come, you know, junior high school teachers who love teaching Poe because he's fun. And kids love reading Poe because all of a sudden you're dealing with an author who's walling people up in dungeons and, and putting them in torture chambers and, you know, disemboweling <laughs> bodies and putting hearts in the floorboards and it's like this is reading this is great i, I can't believe this they're giving <laughs> us this you know it's very subversive in a in a very safe way so poe gets constantly reintroduced and a lot of people carry poe throughout their life and how many people would tell you oh yeah <clears throat> i had to memorize the first few stanzas of the raven when i was the, mm. or i did this and 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 for them for a lot of people it's like this is reading reading's been a chore this is fun you want to get kids fired up, give them stuff like that at that age. You know, we give kids the wrong stuff. We give them stuff that'll turn them off reading. But Poe is great. And, and teachers love teaching Poe and kids love getting Poe. Twain, on the other hand, is dropping out of curriculum. Hmm. Poe, Twain still is, is recognized. But I think that's because we quote him and don't read him anymore. I think he's, it, 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 and talking about the United States, both Poe and Twain export great. They're both extraordinarily popular around the world. That's another thing that's sort of keeping them alive is they remain two iconic American writers in a staggering number of other countries and cultures. Uh, you know, Poe is very popular in Asian countries. He's very popular in Europe. He's very popular in, in, in places where you wouldn't think he'd be that popular, but he is. And, you know, it, it, but in America, Poe continues to be reintroduced and read. Twain, I, I, I almost, and this is what I hate to say out loud, I, 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 I worry about Twain's long-term future in the classrooms and in, in, in our consciousness because I don't think there's going to be that renewable energy source that there is with Poe. Um, I hope I'm wrong. I, I, I Believe me, you know, every, every fiber of my being hopes I'm wrong on that. But we continue to quote Mark Twain. Something often wrong. We often misquote it, but we, we 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 quote Twain constantly, and that does help keep him in in, in in that that consciousness. But there's definitely something about Poe's writing, particularly those Gothic writings that are the ones that have you know stood the test of time and, and people coming back to you that do feel universal. Feelings of guilt, feelings of anxiety, feelings of fear. That translates without so much knowledge of 19th century cultural context or American cultural context. Hearing the guilty beating heart of someone you killed seems to be universal. Is that we all can can't we all <laughs> you know relate to that? Can't we? <laughs> haven't we all been through that at one point in our lives? Uh, you're right. Um, you know, Wes Craven uh, in the book I quote him saying, um, you know, and I'm going to paraphrase this. But he said something along like that Poe didn't invent the fear, but he recognized it and he tapped into it better than anybody else. And that Poe not only created 
all the techniques and and tropes that dominate all of horror literature that follows. But he, it, it, it's the same tropes we use in all, all mm. horror storytelling, films and television too. That's why I said before that gauging Poe's influence is almost impossible because it is so immense and so pervasive and so widespread that, you know, Poe touches everything in, in that standpoint. And, you know, Craven was right. You know, it, it is, that's why Poe is, he's miles ahead of everybody else doing this. He took a form which was all around him, which was popular, and he made literature out of it, which is something Ray Bradbury said. Ray Bradbury uh, said to me in, in, uh, that uh, before Poe, there's a lot of this, but Poe actually makes it literature. And that's quite an accomplishment. I mean, just you can't underscore that one. You can't, you know, you can you you, you got you got to start like, wow, you know, he's right. Um, you look at and he's not alone. I mean, I, I don't want to sure. overstate the case. If you had a Mount Rushmore of sort of the horror figures, literary figures from the 19th century, they certainly would start before Poe because you would start with Mary Shelley, of course. You know, and you would start with a book that is, is is important to horror as it is to science fiction with Frankenstein. You know, so you start with Mary Shelley, then you go to Poe, then you go to Robert Louis Stevenson and, you know, not just Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, but, uh, you know, all the stuff he did, like the Body Snatchers and Markheim and all the great stories that he wrote. And then you end this century with Stoker and Dracula. That's kind of the Mount Rushmore there. And... Um, the difference is Shelley, Stevenson, Stoker, the three S's, all from the British Isles, you know, one from England, one from Scotland, one from Ireland. And they all do it with novels. They Those three write the seminal novels, horror novels, the, the, that are the basis of a lot of modern horror literature. Frankenstein, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Dracula. Poe is the lone American in the group. And he does it with short stories. He does it with shorts and poetry because some of the poetry like Annabelle Lee and the Raven, you know, fall into the horror category as well. So, you know, he's doing it with different forms. And uh, so he, he, it, it's an, it's an amazing century in the sense that they gave us these four people. And um, Poe certainly opened up the ideas of the, the, the possibilities for psychological horror. Mm. Uh, you know, so many of his stories are hinged on those moments of obsession, those moments of, uh, and, and uh, you know, another reason we go back to you saying, like, why do we have this image of Poe? One thing that happened, you know, and I think this really uh, emerged in the 1960s in classrooms, was uh, Poe got taught wrong for a long time. Mm. And I think in some cases he still is. Students in the 1960s and, 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 and on were kind of encouraged to confuse Poe with his unreliable narrators, which is also selling him short, selling short his art. And is says, he's not the guy in the telltale heart. OK, <laughs> I hope not. He, he, you know, <laughs> we we want to make him that guy. We want him to say, oh, yeah, that's you know, we want to make him the, you know, Montresor in the cask of Amontillado. Um you know, he, he had some of his best story. Somebody asked me uh, not too long ago what my favorite post short stories were. 
And I said, you know, it's odd because I'm not a big revenge guy. I don't believe in revenge. And I, I, I think it's a, you know, what the, the, the old saying about, you know, it's, it's, mm. it's, it's, it's swallowing poison and hoping the other person dies. But, you know, and, and but Poe had his share of literary feuds. And I'm sure there were some people he did hope would die. Uh, and he at the end of his life, he writes two very powerful revenge stories. Uh, the better known of the two is the cask of Amontillado, but the other is Hot Frog. Uh, both amazing stories. And they're two of my favorite stories. And I'm not a big revenge guy, but they are two of my favorite stories. And maybe because particularly the cask of Amontillado is not only so perfectly written, it also is very funny. It's a very funny. You, you, if you don't think Poe has a sense of humor and you're missing the points of humor in the cask of Amontillado, you're, you know, but Sarah and I perform the cask of Amontillado. I, I play uh, uh, Montresor and she does the voice of Fortunato. And uh, you get that point where, you know, he's coaxing uh, Fortunato deeper and deeper into the catacombs out under his house, you know, and he, you know, and you, he's going to wall him up. He's going to bury him alive. Uh, this is a grisly, gruesome, terrible story in a lot of ways. And along the way, he keeps saying to, to Fortunato, you're, you have a cough. Let's go back. You're ill. I cannot mm -hmm. be responsible. Come, we shall return. And he keeps baiting him and goading him to keep going deeper and deeper. And finally, you know, Fortunato has this, 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 this coughing fit. And Montresor, again, expresses this great desire for his health and that he should go back all the time planning to kill him. And Fortunato says, you know, enough, enough. I shall not die of a cough. And you can almost hear the beat. <laughs> and Montresor answers, true. <laughs> now, when we perform that, that gets a laugh. We perform that and people, people just fall down laughing because they know what this is about. You're not going to die of a cough. I'm going to kill you, you son of a bitch, right? Now. <laughs> right here, right now. <laughs> it's, it's, it's this awful moment but tell me poe doesn't have a sense of humor if when you when you read that and you read that whole piece you know some of his a lot of his horror pieces have richly funny moments well you have certainly enriched us about poe's life uh, i encourage our listeners to go out and get mark's new book a mystery of mysteries the death and life of edgar Allan poe we've certainly gone deeper into his catagones now mark in poe's fiction people were subjected to the pit and the pendulum unfortunately for you here on pop life you have to survive the fast five. So, uh, Mark, as is our tradition here on uh, Pop Life, we like to ask our guests five questions to get a deeper sense of their love of pop culture. Uh, because of your fabulous new book, all five questions for you uh, are going to be about Edgar Allan Poe. They're going to be uh, either I just, or I just questions. Want, I just want the, the audience to know I have never seen these handcuffs before. <laughs> That's I, exactly. I just want you to tell them that the, <laughs> I've never heard these questions before, so fire away. If you can escape the Fast Five, Mark, you will be doing very well. So question number one for you. Poe's life has interested many authors, but also many filmmakers. Which of these portrayals of Poe on film is your favorite? Would it be John Cusack, who played the author in the 2012 mystery film The Raven, or the recent Harry Milling's uh, portrayal of young Poe in 2022's The Pale Blue Eye? Which do you prefer as a portrayal of Poe? Okay, I'm going to ask you to be Dupin here. Oh, good. There is an answer. And from everything I just said, you should be able to divine the answer. So John Cusack it is. 
No, it is not. Oh, well, what do you know? <laughs> it is it is definitely the more recent because it's more closer to who Poe actually was. The the John Cusack portrayal plays into all the stereotypes. The hairy melling, indeed, the pale blue eyes. So question number two for you. Hopefully I don't have to answer. No one's a guest has ever made me answer the Fast Five. This is very cruel of you, Mark. Well, I, I, I was <laughs> going to answer it, but I was going to say, you know, because of all the reasons... Pale Blue Eye is one of the first ones. It, it, it centers on just one aspect of Poe's life when he was at West Point. And it's closer to kind of, you know, who Poe was at that point in his life. And it's more realistic. It's not completely realistic, but it's it's definitely not the... You know, the, the Kuzak portrayal is very much the stereotype of Poe and does not go much beyond that. No, and did not go very far at the not to say it's a bad movie, by the way. <laughs> No, no. That's not, you know, I'm just saying, you know, look, all the movies that have been done of Poe are not models of fidelity. This I is, love the old Universal films with Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi, but they've got nothing to do with Poe. You know? <laughs> now, speaking of uh, filmmakers, we know that uh, there are many filmmakers who have devoted themselves to Poe's work. Perhaps the most devoted was legendary director and producer, as you mentioned, Roger Corman, who directed several films based on Poe's work. Which of Corman's films would you pick to watch on a dark and stormy night? Would you pick 1960's House of Usher or The Mask of Red Death from 1964? Mask of the Red Death, although House of Usher is a very those are two that you you pick two the two probably the two best. Well, there. pop life is a hard the, life here, Mark. We're yes, going to make I would, you. And I would, but I, I would give us a, a slight edge to Mask of the Red Death. So, question number three for you, Mark. Poe's work has also inspired numerous video game designers with games like The Dark Eye and Treasure Island: The Gold Bug, based on his work. Which of these Poe's poems do you think should inspire the next breakout video game hit? Would it be a game based on Eulalie, in which the player seeks to solve the mystery of, quote, the world of Moan where they dwelt alone? Or would it be the bells, in which players try to evade the, quote, brazen bells who are too much horrified to speak, they can only shriek, shriek? Which is your choice for a game? Well, the, the, the first would be the better choice for a game because there's an actual journey involved. The bells is about the four phases of somebody's life. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's the better poem. And it's the more powerful poem, but it's it's four stands, it's it's four parts, and each part addresses the phases of a life. So it's it's not that uh, great a source for a video game. Uh, so so you know, Mark we, Mark is telling us life is not a good source for games. I think that is absolutely well, not that. True. I mean, I think it would be a very depressing uh, game because you know <laughs> it inevitably leads to the last stanza. You know, the, the 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 first part of that poem is very merry. You know, hear the tinkling bells, the mm. silver bells, the wedding bells. It's all about you know the phases of the the early bell is about like childhood. The second one is about young adulthood, then middle age, and then finally you know the last one. Clearly, you know the the moaning of the groaning of the bells is death. So, you know, if you want to play that video game, we have at it. But, you know, I think most video games have an actual journey built into them. Mark, I think we're all playing that game. I think it all ends the same way for us. Question number right. four for you, the Mark. Yeah. <laughs> Question number four. Uh, Poe's work has influenced numerous television programs and movies. Which of these Saturday morning cartoon show ideas do you think would have been more successful? Would it be Scooby-Doo in the Oblong Box or... It's a telltale heart, Charlie Brown. Which would you rather watch on Saturday morning cartoons? Oh, and the second is sicker. I, I, it, it, <laughs> I like that one better. You know, the, the second is, is much more sick. And, uh, um, so, yeah, I'm going with Charlie Brown. <laughs> we, we like that version here at Pop Life as well. So finally for you, question number five, the hardest question for you, Mark. If you could sit down for a cup of coffee and a chat 
with one iconic American author, would it be Edgar Allan Poe or Mark Twain? I would have a much better time with Mark Twain. You know, I, 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 I would definitely say Twain. I, you know, I, I think um, Poe would be a hard friend, a difficult friend. Mm. There's somebody, uh, some one person I quoted in the book, one of the Poe scholars I quoted in the book said, you know, if if you had lived in Poe's time and there was a knock at the door and you had one of those modern keyholes where you could look through the, the little thing and see who it was at the door and you could see it was Poe, you might not answer the door uh, because he could he could wear you out. He could be, you know, he, he, you know, uh, not to say, you know, that Twain didn't have his baggage. Twain had a lot of baggage. But I think um, I would, you know, r- rather be. Uh, yeah, I think Poe would keep you on eggshells the whole time. Um, and I think Twain, you could kick back, have a cigar and a glass of scotch, which was his favorite, by the way. He, he was not a bourbon drinker as much as he was a scotch drinker. Um, I think that would be uh, infinitely more fun. Well, Mark, you've been a lot of fun for us here on Pop Life. So my final question for you is we know you spent a lot of time recently talking about Edgar Allan Poe and writing about Poe. But beyond your interest in Poe, what else is in your pop culture life these days? Are you watching TV? Are you watching some movies? What's exciting you in the pop world these days? I'm actually going back in time uh, right now because (laughs) two of the major things that I'm doing is – I'm working, uh, you know, I, I, I did a reprint of the Columbo book a few years ago, and that has kicked up a lot of interest in Columbo. And I'm all of a sudden I'm working on some Columbo projects um, and I'm reworking the Night Stalker book. Excellent. I'm, you know, I still want to do there. There's a lot of barriers to getting that done and having it done right. But I'm determined to have a revised version of the Kolshak history, uh, mostly because. It, 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 you know, the, the last edition was 1997. It was in print for 10 years and it has become obscenely expensive. Um, and I, just to sort of save, you know, the, the fans out there who just want a copy of it, I'd like to get a reasonably priced reprint of it out there uh, in the near future. So those are two things which are dominating and those go back to like back in, in my time. And now we have an amazing book from Mark on Edgar Allan Poe. So you are continuing to go back in history. Listeners will want to check out A Mystery of Mysteries, The Death and Life of Edgar Allan Poe, which is just now hitting the bookstores. Mark, you've been an amazing guest. We really appreciate your insights into Poe and everything about American literary history. To our guests, I'll say thank you for joining us on this edition of Pop Life. And remember, next time you hear a mysterious beating under your floorboards, it is probably just the next episode of Pop Life. I'll see you all next time. Thanks for listening to Pop Life, a production of WAER, Syracuse Public Media. You can find archived episodes at WAER.org. And don't forget to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen for automatic delivery of new episodes.